Catholic healthcare is the healing ministry of Christ that he instituted when he was walking in the Holy Land and curing the sick, delivering those that were demonically afflicted, and liberating people from the lives and the traumas that they had experienced. And so that's the mission of Catholic healthcare. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Dauphiné, and today I'm joined by Lewis Brown Jr., who is the Executive Director of the Christ Medicus Foundation. Very pleased to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be Excellent. here with you. Well, so glad you're here. Thanks. Um, I wanted to begin uh, with just a big question about religious liberty, uh, and you know, maybe we could just put it provocatively. Sure. Right? Why is there religious liberty? Sure. Why should religions have any more liberty than just every other person you know, right. I th- in a country? Right. Uh, no, it's an interesting question. Religious, there's religious liberty because religious liberty uh, protects the freedom to the highest good, with, which is love. And wow. it protects the, that freedom, um, I think, uh, more profoundly than perhaps uh, any other right that we have. It protects the highest good, which is love. It help us, helps us to understand human dignity. It helps us to, uh, it gives us a freedom to experience the reality of human dignity and the sanctity of life for every person. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, religious liberty, they call it the first liberty in the Constitution, the First Amendment, that's, that's articulated in the First Amendment. And I think it is, along with the right to life and right of conscience, our most important foundational bedrock uh, civil rights and our human rights. Wow, that's that's so well put. It's really maybe you know the the freedom to love mm-hmm. uh, and to learn about a higher source of right. love. That's right. In, in part, uh, it, it seems in a way, I, I think there's a crisis of maybe individualism mm-hmm. where we tend to think that individuals exist in a society and they have the right to be individuals, right? And the society has the right to control the individuals. But I think today we often have a suspicion that individuals have kind of a natural right to form communities, the community maybe of the family Mm -hmm. or also the community of churches. So Mm -hmm. the community of people coming together as a family or as a church is in many ways really prior to the state. Oh, one hundred percent. I yeah, one hundred percent. It's a it's a very challenging uh, it's a very challenging issue because on across our cultural spectrum, um, you have uh, this recognition of of rights, um, but I think both uh, both on, on various polls that we're going through, um, you have uh, folks saying that. Uh, I have absolute autonomy mm-hmm. and some are saying, well, I have absolute autonomy regardless of, of what direction I'm going into, wh- whether it's uh, towards order, towards love, towards human flourishing or towards disorder and uh, human destruction that I can exercise my autonomy however I want, whether it's over yes. my body or over my money. Okay. And so I think that, um, uh, those are very misguided ways of understanding things uh, in terms of this absolute autonomy mm-hmm. uh, uh, that leads to thoughts that have almost exclusively to do with power. So, no, I mean, I think your your earlier question, your earlier kind of supposition, which is that 
on some level, uh, the community exists, not on some level, but absolutely, the community exists before the government and before the community uh, exists God. And so yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a proper ordering. The state has legitimate authority, uh, but there are things that are up over and above the state, such as God and, and the community. Well, wow. now you're going to be uh, speaking to Ave Maria University faculty, staff, and Hopefully students. Hopefully if I get there in like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, later this afternoon. Um, what are some kind of big themes uh, that you'd like to, that you want to communicate today? Sure. Um, I think for me, I think the biggest theme that I'm trying to communicate is that it really three things. The first is the priority for, for all people, but particularly young people, to encounter the living God, to encounter love himself in an ongoing daily way. Yeah. Um, and, to, and to steep, for, for folks at Ave Maria University, for parents, for everybody, for every American, every child, every man, woman, and child, to encounter Christ, to encounter love, that is the whole point of life, that you can and I say this, hopefully I'll say this a little later today, you can save the world a hundred times over, um, but if one does not come to know and persevere uh, in Christ on a certain level, particularly for those of us who've been given the gift of being aware in Christ, if we fail to persevere in Christ, we can save the world a hundred times over, uh, but our lives will be a failure. So to steep our yeah. identity in being sons and daughters of God, I talked to a group of uh, law students and college interns a couple months ago, and they all had this concern, or at least one of them had this concern that there's this lie in the culture that you have to merit your dignity, that you have to marry your dignity. Oh, okay. And, um, and so that, therefore, my dignity is uh, what I do. My dignity is how much value I produce in, in, uh, within the culture, within the economy, et cetera. And that's a lie. That's an objectification of the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want... I want everyone that I talk to to know that they are loved and that they can rest in the safety and security. Dr. Bob Schutz talks about this in the safety and security of just being a son and daughter of God. Um, and so, so that, that, that healing encounter with Christ, that healing touch of Christ that helps us to know who we are. And then it helps us to know what we do, what we're, we're called to do, which is through our vocation is to love other people, whatever, whatever role that takes, whether it's being an engineer or being a priest or being, religious sister or being a doctor or being a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, whatever that may be, to, to encounter Christ, to be healed, and to go out and to heal others. There's a massive attack on religious freedom, and ultimately that attack is in our freedom to go out and love and heal others. Uh, and then we have wow. to fight against that. Mm-hmm. If we discover our dignity as children of God, right. loved by the creator of the universe, right. Exactly. Right? so we're not alone, uh, it's really natural then right. to go out and love our neighbor. Right. Right. In some ways, this is the, the, the key, right. Commandments are right. to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. Right. And so in a way, religious liberty, as I hear you describing it, I never quite thought about it like this. It's really our ability then to go out and love one another. Right. That's right. At its highest form. That's in right. its, and, and to love one another in not only as individuals, but as members of a community. That's right. And, and to a certain extent, do it in just on our authentic name, which That's is right. if we're doing that because we've discovered right a power greater than ourselves, right. if we've discovered the creator of the universe, if we've discovered perhaps that the creator of the universe loves us in right. his son, 
then it's also appropriate that we would do it not in our own name because it's not really our own strength. It's right. not our own love. So right. it's appropriate that we would do it in God's name. Right. Yeah. And that it's not a private exercise, you know, that, that it's, uh, it's, it's very much a public, it's a public exercise, you know, um, um, there's a private dimension to it but mm-hmm. that our, our faith um, is intended to, there's a, there's a, it's right. And it's just for us to proclaim Christ uh, to exercise our faith in the public square mm-hmm. um, and to get away from this kind of Protestant notion that I think became popular though. I was not here, but in the middle of the 20th century, um, particularly in the Northeast that your faith is this private affair that you put in the back, you know, the, in, that in the back door in the back room and you don't discuss, you're almost ashamed of it. Um, um, but it's, it's the path. Our faith is the path uh, to a flourishing civil society. Uh, but it's more than that. It's also the whole reason why we're here. And yeah, I'll stop there. Okay. No, I think that's, <laughs> it's, it's very, and in some ways I do think actually you can even trace that back to some uh, thinkers earlier uh, in political kind of early modern political theory mm-hmm. who would make a distinction between religious conduct, which is totally under the control of the state, mm-hmm. and then religious belief, which is private and internal. Sure, sure. And you know that's, and in some ways, I think that's ironically what we still have today. No right. longer in the name of established religions, right? But the idea that, and I don't know if your experience, because you've worked in this area, but where the government often feels sometimes as though it's 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 duty to control conduct. Um, and in, in the exercise by religious people. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and so. at a certain level, it divides, it divides the person. So you see mm-hmm. this very powerfully. Uh, if, if a person's a true believer and you say that um, we're going to cut off your belief from your activity, then, then how can you survive on a certain level? How can you authentically survive as the person you're called to be? Yes. Yes. So that's very well put. Very well put. Um, so you said that was kind of the first thing is that we're loved by God. The second thing is that we have a duty therefore to love others. Was there right? More yeah. And I, and I think that that, that love, um, is healing. We, you know, I, we talk about a lot, a lot about this at Christ Medicus, the Catholic healthcare, which is in the aggregate, the larger, largest, uh, deliverer of, Healthcare in the United States. It provides around somewhere between 15 and 17, give or take a couple percent of all American healthcare deliveries from a wow. Catholic healthcare institution. And Catholic healthcare in the United States globally was founded by Jesus Christ. Catholic healthcare is the healing ministry of Christ that he instituted when he was walking in the Holy Land and curing the sick, delivering those that were demonically afflicted um, and liberating people from the lives and the traumas that they had experienced. Mm. And so that's, that's the mission of Catholic healthcare. That's vitally important right now in America and other parts of the world, our mandate, our baptismal commission to make disciples of all nations, to be instruments of God's love and healing for others is being attacked. Uh, Most of popular culture Popular culture doesn't necessarily reflect the, what the majority opinion, but the drivers of popular culture, um, I think, largely wanted to eradicate the gospel and Catholic evangelization from society altogether. 
which means we don't want Catholics faithfully practicing in medicine. We don't want Catholics faithfully practicing uh, mental health. We don't want Catholics uh, in the field of bioethics and in scientific research. We don't want you. Now, if you're going to make an accommodation with the world and, uh, and you're going to leave your faith behind, if you're functionally going to, uh, you know, uh, to reject Christ for the world, then we want you. And if you want to be a Catholic in name only, that's fine. Uh, but otherwise, if you're going to bring your faith into uh, your public conduct that has public uh, repercussions, we don't want you here. That's what's happening right now. Um, and that's not only bad for, um, for us as Catholics, because it not only violates our rights, but it means that the children of God that our Lord wants to reach through us because of these legal, legal obstacles may not be reached. And that's very serious. The ultimate mission of the Christian, again, to get home to God and to bring everyone with you, as a friend of mine once said, get home to God and bring everyone with you. You see this powerfully in a great film that I talk about a lot, uh, the movie Harriet. Uh, it's a very Christian film, and it's about the life of Harriet Tubman. It's based on a book, and there was a great NPR interview that, the, uh, that one of the makers of the film did. And um, Harriet Tubman gets out of... She was in, you know, she was enslaved in, in, in Maryland and, and they show it in the film. She prays to the Lord essentially. And the Lord, and she said this, the Lord directed me how to get out. And so somehow miraculously though, she did not know where she was. She had no map. She literally walks into Pennsylvania, walks into freedom. But instead of staying in Pennsylvania, she goes back in, she goes back into the, uh, you know, the slave States and she rescues her brothers and sisters. And there's a very powerful scene at the end of the film. She's the only woman to have, I believe the, the film said this. Well, I don't know if it's actually true, but let's trust that she's the only woman to have led some type of combat regiment into battle still. And she leads this uh, formation of soldiers mm -hmm. uh, into some, some area where they're, they're, they know that there is slaves that are running for their freedom. And you see the Union soldiers arrive you see their, you know, their guns out, and you see the slaves running. And so this is exactly what we are called as Catholics to do. Instead of, instead of staying in our freedom, instead of staying in our freedom uh, and just being safe and secure, uh, we're called to go back out to rescue our brothers and sisters, to attack the gates of hell, and to rescue our brothers and sisters out. And so when we see the loss of our legal right to religious freedom, um, it is really a loss of our legal ability to evangelize, our legal ability to love and to heal other people, to be God's instruments. And if we fail to do that, souls will be lost. Nothing's more important. Those are the two most yeah. important things. Get home to God, bring others with you. That's it. Well, that's quite a moving, that's a moving story uh, of Harriet Tubman. And I think it's a great example of how um, Christians in following they're recognizing their love, the, how God has loved them and how right. then they can love others, right? May at times be, be socially disruptive, <laughs> right. right? You know, and yet, oh, very much so. and yet really accomplish something, you know, really offer kind of the healing hand of love and right. hope. That's right. To one another, you know, and, and it certainly seems that, you know, they're, they're, Anyway, I just think that's such a, that's just such no, a powerful. No, it, it, is, it is powerful to me yeah. because I think that, okay, you know, I've been rescued by God, right? 
you know, um, from myself and from the <laughs> world and all mm-hmm. of those things. Right. And it is in the, and the spirit of the age in our country and much of the West is so nasty and ugly. The fears about being canceled for being a Christian, the fears about standing up for life or religious freedom or the biological scientific reality of the in-person, they're massive. And so it's just easier. Well, I'm just going to stay in my freedom. I've escaped. I'm in the North. This is Harriet. I'm, I'm, oh. I'm escaped. I'm in the North. I'm free. Those folks back there that, that are enslaved, that are in bondage, I wish I could help them out, but I just don't want to risk it. But the call of the Christian to go back into these uncomfortable, challenging, and dangerous places, that's what Christ did. That's what the apostle did. That's a vocation of every single Christian, and it's the most important work. And so that's that's what we're trying to— And the other thing, too, is we're talking about religious freedom in this way because it's not, it's not about tribe. That, that's a really massive challenge for Catholics in the United States, for Christian United States— you know, our faith is attacked, our beliefs about human sex, the, the reality of human sexuality and the unborn and the, the sanctity of life, it's constantly being attacked in the media, in the culture, all the time, all day, every day. And so, and we were talking about this with the students at lunch earlier, the, the temptation is to, is to attack back, you know, um, you know, I'm just a Christian, right? I'm just a Christian. I'm just a Catholic. But you hear, you hear this thought. Well, let, like, let's, you know, on Twitter, like, there's this idea of like, let's own this political camp, or I'm going to own these guys, or whatever. Oh, you got to own. You know, that's not that's not how Christians speak or act. We don't. We're not. It's not a tribe. You know. Yes, we'll defend the truth, um, but we're not here to just defend simply our own camp or our own tribe, because the reality is on a certain level, everyone's part of our tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's part of our community. Literally every man, woman, child's part of our camp. And so that's a very different way of looking at things. Um, but it's very challenging, particularly when there's so much anger and, and a lot of the anger is just a lot of the anger we have as Catholics today about what's going on in the world is very just, but we, we should be angry at the, at the evil, not the, uh, not the person. Yeah, well, thank you. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at avemaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now let's get back to the show. I appreciate hearing so many of your insights about religious liberty and uh, the importance of the Catholic healthcare system, not only as really probably one of the largest healthcare provider, right? Networks, you know, across the globe. Right, right. That's right. But also just part of the essential mission of being, being a Christian Mm -hmm. is, includes right the ability to share that with others um you know tell us a little bit about yourself i mean how did you get interested in you know all these you know the the legal battles the health stuff you know your own faith sure um thank god because of a a great mother and great family had an awareness of the beauty and awesomeness of god and what little i've understood about particularly when you're teaching children they see god as initially the faith journey 
He's big. He's awesome, you know. Yeah. And so I had that sense of it and and some sense of this of a supernatural presence. My father passed away in a uh, a car crash, a car accident, however you want to phrase it, um, when I was very young. And so oh. that gave me a an awareness, a more potent awareness of God's providential care for me because my father's not there. You see this mm. with uh, I, you know, serious sinner that I am, not comparing myself to John Paul II, but you see this with John Paul II. He loses you know, famously now uh, the th- you know, his mother, his father, his brother, and not that long of a period of time. But who comes in uh, in a deep way to father him, to mother him, the blessed mother, and obviously God the father. And so from this cross that he has, um, he experiences over time painfully this resurrection. From this desert, he experiences mm-hmm. a glory and joy. Uh, I'm a big fan. I talk probably way too much, uh, and he's a bit of a, uh, he's a close acquaintance, at least I could say. Dr. Schutz in his work talks a lot about the beauty of how God turns, you know, uh, and this is me now talking, a friend of mine said this to me, the Roman empire is this place of great uh, persecution for the church. And the Lord transforms us into this place of uh, the Roman empire into the mechanism for delivery of the gospel. Uh, uh, the cross is meant yes. to crucify, but it, uh, it, it resurrects, you know? So um, that's what I experienced in my life with the loss of my father over time. It's just providential care, the sense that God's there, a, f- a fairly strong gift of faith, of, okay, God's real, never really doubting it. You know, some, you know, wondering, but never really doubting. What a blessing. Yeah. That's amazing that you were blessing. able to receive uh, such a really, you know, horrible loss yeah. as a young child, as a, as a blessing. And over as time. A, yeah. Yeah. Over time. And, um, and I had a mother who uh, is amazing and she was fierce about the faith and kind of force fed it to us and, you know whatever and that was great to a point my faith became my own in high school college and law school very much a uh living a party life a scoundrel a pagan not in a state of grace for most of my teens and most of my 20s uh, or at least my very early 20s and through Doing it my way literally brought me to my knees of, of total desperation because that wasn't working over and over again, mm. uh, not working and recognizing time and time again, the one thing that's constant is God. The one thing I can trust is God. The one thing I really want is God. And I cannot, you know, in experiencing the emptiness of, of pursuing prideful ambition, pursuing power, pursuing influence, pursuing personal gain, um, the temptation to want to make oneself one's own God or a God to others. Right. And and seeing how empty and there's no joy there. I heard someone describe it one time that God sometimes reveals himself to us through the gift of desperation. Right. Oh, God, the gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there anything in particular during that time or particular people or, Oh no, or a book that somehow, no, so many things. um, And being respectful of our time here, but, I think the loss of a relationship that was not virtuous uh, okay. of a dating relationship when I was in law school and I had made this relationship and maybe, you know, I had made the relationship and some things connected with it, false idols. So the false idol breaks and I realize, okay, I have one, there's one God. Um, 
as I got older, I recognized I hadn't dealt with the loss of my father fully. I, you know, this, this, you know, I just hadn't really dealt with it. it just, it was kind of the thing, you know, it's, mm. oh, well, this is, this is part of my story. It's no big deal. I'm fine. And there's a, there's a deep pain that can happen when a father or a mother is, is either physically not present because of death or they left, or if they're not even emotionally present. We see this a lot with a lot of baby boomers. Um, sons get back, or, you know, these sons get back to war, they get married. These World War II guys who did a lot of good in Europe, but also saw a lot of horrible stuff, participated in a lot of tough stuff, and they were emotionally absent to their kids. And, uh, and that's, that's really tough stuff. And God came in, starting about 10, 12 years ago, and said, you know what? No, 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 no. I really am your father. I really am the man behind you. You have everything from me. Um, I am giving you this divine inheritance, this divine royalty, and you can be, you can be safe, you can be secure, you can be at peace uh, in my heart, in my arms. This is all you have to be. You can rest here. Um, Interior Freedom by Father Jacques Philippe was a huge part of that. Wow. Um, uh, a, a book by John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. You know, it's it's, it's pretty popular. Yeah, those are great books. Uh, really remarkable. Unbound, I, I read some years later by Neil Lozano. Um, and a book that we actually took my team with at Christ Medicus through, and we're taking the whole Christ Medicus community through. Uh, we have a, a Catholic health community where people are sharing their medical costs, and we're also providing them with Catholic health coaching, spiritual direction, and a spiritual health program largely based on Be Healed. But the work that Dr. Schutz is doing, the John Paul II Healing Center, Be Healed is a truly transformative book uh, about just encrowning the Father um, in one's own story and being liberated to be on mission, not to go inward, but to go further outward, to be that instrument of of the gospel for other people. So those have all had um, a massive impact on me. And in terms of my thinking, I think Cardinal Seurat the last couple of years has had a big impact, maybe Cardinal Mueller as well, their writings and all of that. So, um, but it's, it's because, you know, the Lord has rescued me from my stupidity. I deserve death, <laughs> but he gives me a chance at life. So, yeah. Yes. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, you, you, you hinted a little bit at the, some of the work that you're doing with the Christ Medicus, right. but just, Tell us a little bit about that. What is what 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 does the title mean? What's some of the work that sure. you're doing? You talked about trying to share costs. I mean, just right. all these different things. Yeah. So right. So um, Christ is the divine physician, right? So that's where we essentially get our name, Christ Christ Medicus. He's the divine physician for all people, all times, all seasons. I love talking about that. I could talk about this all day, all night because it's just great. And um, and so our mission is to share the love of of God in healthcare. And we do that in three ways. The first way is we defend our religious liberty and medical conscience um, through education, through some advocacy at the federal level and at the state level uh, across the country. The second thing we do is we advise uh, Catholic pro-life medical centers uh, to provi- that provide care to particularly at-risk pregnant women and their unborn children. The third thing is this Catholic health community that we're uh, building called Curo. We have families in 40 states that are part of this Catholic healthcare community, they share their health costs. And then we are providing them programs to help them grow in their whole health uh, and wellness um, so that they may live life fully alive in Christ. So yes, we're paying, we're going to pay, we're going to help you. And we partner with a a Protestant group to do this. We help folks pay for their medical costs. 
Um, but then we've created programs through our remarkable team um, to help our members live in the truth of who God has created them to mm. be. Um, uh, so many of the f- physical health challenges are related to behavioral health, some trauma, some lies, some challenge, some sin, whatever. And so having a Catholic health coach can help get rid of those lies that might be impeding somebody from, from living a more healthy lifestyle in their diet and, and their, uh, and their exercise. A spiritual director obviously helps you live into the truth of what Christ is speaking to you. Uh, and the spiritual help program that, that we're doing again, building off of the work of, uh, of Dr. Shoots and be healed is, is helping people to go in and to, uh, and understand where Christ was in the challenges of their lives. And then to become who they are as Jack, Philippe talks about to become who they are and their vocations and mothers and fathers and spouses um, and to live in the freedom uh, that God has created to be, them to live in as sons and daughters, as mothers and fathers and whatever their vocations are. So um, I was, I had, I was at the Knapp Institute a couple weeks ago and I told uh, a gentleman there, uh, we were having a, a bit of an impromptu meeting. I said, if you join our ministry, and you participate in the programs that, that we're providing our membership, not just the sharing the medical costs, but um, living a life fully alive in Christ through these programs, the health coaching, the direction, um, the spiritual health program. We, because of God's grace and love and mercy, I believe your life would be transformed. I really believe that. Yeah. You know, I'm not just like, I really believe that. And we got a wonderful, if I could say one last thing, if, I don't know if I have time, but we got an amazing letter from a deacon um, in the Diocese of Anchorage, Alaska, about how direction transformed his vocation as a deacon. He was really struggling with whether to move forward and um, receiving direction remotely um, from his spiritual director, Michael Vaca, uh, who's an amazing, who's a lawyer, Ave Maria law grad, and a bioethicist, and just an, has an amazing prophetic gift, um, transformed his vocation. And we're seeing how a lot of families, our uh, our um, our health coach Becca Ray, Rebecca now Wilson, she's amazing, is working with a lot of uh, some families that are in our ministry, and just helping them live in the truth of God's love, and that just has that has so many dimensions. You know, it's interesting that you're describing that because, I mean, I think a lot of hospital work today mm-hmm. is realizing that. You know, it's great to fix the car when the car gets in an act. Right, gets, it's vital. It's, you know, yes. to, to fix it. Yeah. But it's even better to keep the car like preventative maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much exactly. more emphasis on wellness, emphasis on right. everything's like blue zones, eating. There's right. even in the secular community, you see much more emphasis on this. And so to be able to take that all the way, not only in terms of eating and in terms of exercising, but in terms of maybe dealing with unhealthy habits. No, that's I right. I need help. I know right. that I should exercise, but maybe I'm struggling to do it. I know that I should quit this addiction, but I'm struggling to do it. Merely having a doctor tell you that's unhealthy. It's like, no, you need to get support. That's right. And, and you're so, providing right. that. And it's a community. Yeah. It's a com- one of the biggest okay. determinants of health yeah. is community. Mm. And, and, and I, I heard a story of a person who went to Lourdes. 
I'm blessed to be a Knight of Malta. I haven't gone to Lourdes yet. Oh, okay. And, and the, this person's healing, it, it was, and it was actually probably this, a person telling the story that they had heard. So to be clear, but it was because they were simply accompanied. There's such power in that. And particularly after three years of being stripped of, of being with God in community and physical community, you know, being stripped of family, being stripped of friends in terms of just the ability to get together, people need community. And so imperfectly, um, God is using us to do that. And I couldn't be more excited about the work. We're and so it would seem also that what you're doing, because it has some of these online, I mean, there's such a crisis of mm-hmm. healthcare in the mm-hmm. U.S. where mm-hmm. healthcare in the U.S. is so concentrated right. in, in, in major cities, right. um, but right. in many rural areas and in just many states, right. even there's not a lot of often healthcare, the whole rural, rural right. health initiatives are so important. Right. And it seems like your work right. is also addressing right. th- no. that. Am I correct? Right. That's right. Because, because we can do it virtually. Now, there's no substitute for in person. Yeah. There's no substitute for that. But it pains me in my heart. That's in my heart. Um, the power of a good Catholic psychologist, um, you know, <laughs> I, I venture to say most of the young folks I know, which is people under the age of 60. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, count me in. Um, right. Um, are, are going to counseling and it's okay. Like things, life isn't perfect and we go through stuff and we need help, but the power of a great Catholic psychologist, but from what I can tell for most people, um, they cannot afford to have a solid Catholic psychologist. So my hope and dream is one day that we could provide that. But for now, um, we're providing that virtual community and the, the re and praying for people and sometimes fasting for them. And that's that, that awareness and that experience that I am loved, that someone else cares about me, um, that that's a small seed uh, that can transform the person. And so that's what we're working on doing. Not perfectly, yeah. but I'm excited about it and we're helping people and that's beautiful. That's a, that's an inspiring, uh, it's a really inspiring initiative and it's Thanks. so wonderful yeah, to hear about it. And, yeah. and that I, you know, right with respect to the cost, health costs, yes. but then also dealing with body, yeah. kind of our psyche right. and our spirit, because right. we're ultimately one. And, right, exactly. Um, I think it was Viktor Frankl mm. um, who uh, wrote Man's Search for Meaning, right. but he says, you know, uh, quoting Nietzsche actually, but a man who has a why can endure anyhow. Mm. But if we don't have a why, we can't endure anyhow. Right. I mean, that's the, that's, right. that's the downside. And right. that he would sometimes say that sometimes what people were struggling with when they would come to him as a psychologist was not properly like a mental health issue. What they were dealing with was an existential. Sure. And, and he described that, and he said it was prevalent in the U.S., mm. even more prevalent than he saw in Europe after mm. the war. Mm. He called it an existential vacuum. Wow. And, and, and a loss of meaning, mm. then it's hard to organize your psyche and it's hard right. to organize your body. So your psyche and your body fall into unhealthy habits, behavioral right. problems. Right. and you know, and, you know, so all those different things. And it's not that those things can't be dealt with by doctors, but sometimes they also need to be dealt with by maybe life coaches, spiritual coaches, where you begin to find a meaning and purpose. Right. So to have one program that would somehow integrate all of these different things. And ironically, it reminds me that 
it almost sounds like what the Catholic hospitals used to be. Right, right. When they were founded, right. where you'd have the sister, religious yes. sisters there, the priests, you'd have the chapel. Yes. Um, and the you know you you'd get communion and confession. Right. You know, and if you need it, be at uh, last well, rites. And but, that's you know, it's it. Like, no, well, that's yeah. ca- that's it. That's yeah. the encounter with Christ, and I think that's part of our dream. And we have this virtual community, mm-hmm. which is outstanding. Um, but we are working with existing. Uh, Christ-centered Catholic entities that are increasingly providing that integrated encounter with Christ with what you say, like you go in, you can get, you can, you can, I don't want to say get fixed up because that's not the right way to think about it, but you get the whole thing. You you can, you know, whole, whole person health, but just doing touching the Lord, you know? So um, Bella health and wellness, I talk a lot about them all the time. I'm blessed to be on the board along with a uh, one of the uh, members of the community here in Ave, best primary care in Colorado, in my opinion. And you go in there, they have the Blessed Sacrament in a beautiful chapel. It has a spa-like environment. You have the wealthiest of the uh, larger Denver metro community going there. You also have some very fo- poor folks yeah. that are going there, mm. and you don't want to leave. You get great <laughs> care. You get uh, great medicine. Uh, you also get prayed with. You receive, you receive, you encounter God uh, in the natural and the supernatural in every phase of what's happening at Bell. Again, n- nothing's perfect, but it's outstanding. And um, and we see other hospitals, the Sisters of Perpetual Adoration of St. Francis. It took me a long time to be able to say that. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But they run 13 hospitals in the Midwest, and they're doing a very good job with the big system of of reclaiming the mission of Christ that is Catholic healthcare. Yeah. So there's some great stories. And it's not too. really imposing on the Catholic mission. It's really, it's just like, we want to teach the human right. person. You right. want to heal the human person, body, soul, spirit. And, right. And it, it and, and when that begins to happen, right. Right. It's uh it's beautiful. It's attractive. Yeah. And, and if, if we have time for one, you know, maybe I could say one last thing, yeah. but I'm a huge fan of, um, I should, if I can't think of it, I can send to him. But Jonathan Reyes, I can't imagine you don't know Jonathan Reyes. He was a professor at Christian College. And he spoke to a group of focused students uh, at one of the SIGs a couple of years ago. And he said, Christ is a reality. We're not imposing him. He's the reality. And I think our challenge in part is to live a life that reflects his love so that the, the magnitude of the attractiveness of God um, is also attractive to other people through our witness. And so um, I think that um, increasingly a lot of our uh, allies in healthcare and Catholic healthcare and pro-life care are doing that. Um, God designed the body. And so uh, he's got all the answers, even in science and medicine. Um, And so whether it's with Christ Medicus and the work we're doing with our Kiro uh, Catholic health community or some of our allies is, is, as tough as things are, and I'm going to talk about that later today on campus, um, there's a lot of beautiful things that just weren't happening 20 years ago. Okay. So, you know, before we shift to our kind of closing segment and a few specific questions I want to ask you there, I do, you know, just we spent a lot of time obviously around, uh, you know, teaching young people uh, here at the university, uh, and it's my joy to work with them. What would you say to young people who are thinking of going into law mm-hmm. uh, as you did or medicine, which mm-hmm. you're now working with. And sure. I think so many students are interested in these areas. What would you say to, um, you know, a young Christian, a young Catholic yeah. who wants to, you know, go into medicine or law? Mm-hmm. I think 
particularly if they're an undergrad, undergraduate, or even in high school, but if particularly to undergraduate students, the formation of the mind and the heart is absolutely vital. Hmm. Um, and obviously the heart can be understood on a certain level as the measure of the, the full person. Um, but given how fragile human beings are, we need the formation of the mind so that we can intellectually know the truth. But the, we also need the formation of the heart so that our emotions can be anchored in the truth. And the complexity of the questions in law and in medicine and bioethics are so enormous that to be successful and fruitful and loving, it requires that formation of the heart and the mind. And what an opportunity to be able to do that as an undergraduate place like Ave Marie University. Um, and so now is the time to do that. Um, theological, philosophical um, formation right now can pay massive dividends and on a certain level is more important than most of what you'll get uh, the first couple years of medical school and law school. You need to know the basics, but the questions that our young folks are encountering once they become doctors or once they become lawyers or nurses are so, are so complex and so susceptible to deception um, that, that, that formation before you get into to graduate school, I think is in a certain level more important. Yeah, the way you're describing that reminds me of this idea sometimes that medicine can ask questions that medicine can't answer. That's true. Right, and in any field, yeah. we, and we ask questions on those larger questions, right? What are we, where are we going, how are we living? Mm -hmm. These are these um, important elements. Uh, Maybe, so, uh, oh, can, I, can I lean into that a little bit? Yeah. Real quick. I don't know if we, this is going to be a little controversial, but I think it's, it's a little easier a year from now. I, you know, you, you have to be careful, but I'll say this. Um, part of what you're talking about, we went, we went through COVID and I'm not going to go too deep into it. And, but we made the mistake, much of the church made the mistake of, of in word and indeed showing that we cared more about the body than the soul. And that's, that was dangerous and we can't do that again. Father Roger, Roger Landry wrote a very courageous article in the National Catholic Register saying exactly that. And, um, but it shows that um, we have to have this integrated formation. We, life doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, and so the work that you're doing and, and you know, here at Ave in theology the work that folks are doing in philosophy, how that comes together with science and bioethics, these things can't be handled in a vacuum because, you know, um, I believe as much as I want to live long life, my soul's more important. And so, um, so that's uh, what you said is, is exactly right. And we have probably felt it more than ever as a country than, you know, uh, that, you know, science is important, can't explain everything. Yeah, so I'd like to close with just sure, kind of three quick sure, questions yeah. for you. Um, what's a book you've been reading lately? Um, <laughs> I've been reading two. Actually, I'll give you three. Can I do that? You could, yeah, absolutely. Okay, sure. So um, Bill Barr came out with his memoirs, and it's called, it's called, um, ah, I'm forgetting the name. William Barr's. 
memoirs, memoirs for now. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's right. I'm also reading uh, Solzhenitsyn's memoirs. Uh, I think it's called Between Two Millstones mm. that Notre Dame published uh, back in 2018 or 2019. Uh, I've started to be restored by Dr. Schutz, my second book of his that I'm reading. Um, and uh, the Bill Barr, the Bill Barr memoirs are interesting. It's got a, it's got a funny title that I was debating whether or not to say any, you know, to say the title, but, uh, but Solzhenitsyn's really good. He's a, he's a real man for our time. Uh, and it's called again, Between Two Millstones, Volume One, Volume Two. I think it's Notre Dame University. Yeah, his writings was really one of the first that really kind of exposed a lot of the horrors of the Soviet Union and the Gulag archipelago, yeah. the, the prison system. Right, right. But and so, when, yeah. and when he was first doing that, people were still often thinking like, hey, this is a good way of running a society. Yeah. And he was one he of exposed the people. It. Right. And then when he came to the U.S. and spoke at Harvard, right, um, he had quite a challenging word that he said the West was you know, losing its soul too. So right. No. And I think we see that now. Powerful. He's prophetic. Yeah. The Bill Barr book just came to mind. One damn thing after another. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah. So secondly, uh, what's one thing you do every day or at least try to do every day that helps you to find meaning and draw closer to God? Yeah. Um, I love to run in the macro sense on day to day. I mean, most days you're like, Oh my gosh, why am I doing this? But, um, I try to run three, close to three miles a day, three to four days a week. And um, when I'm not pressed for time and I have just freedom to just kind of go, it's, it's, and I've gotten good sleep, it's just great. I really love to run. And pa- paired with Lord of the Rings, probably on a day-to-day basis, something related to Lord of the Rings and running are some of the greatest, and coffee. <laughs> are like the greatest, the things that like, I, I could go without alcohol for the rest of my life. Yeah. I, I don't think I could go with, without coffee. So coffee, yeah. Lord of the Rings and running are some of the greatest joys of my day-to-day life. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, last question, what's, what's one falsehood hmm. that you believed about God at some point and that some truth that you discovered that has changed your life? Hmm. God doesn't really care about me. So I need to take it into my own hands. Mm. And the, the truth is I just need to trust. Um, I just need to, I need to depend on him. I need to get, give it all over to him. And so um, I should never, we should never try to take things into our own hands. It's mm-hmm. always a call to trust. Yeah. So that that's been post reversion. That's been the biggest biggest lesson. That's, that's beautifully put. Uh, so for, uh, listeners who might be interested in some of the things that you have shared today, would you, how would you direct them to find more about the Christ Medicus foundation and other programs? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Two websites. We got Christ Medicus, C H R I S T M E D I C U S dot org, Christ dot org. And then CMF Curo, CMF com. Well, thank you very much for being on our show. Great to be with you. Love the questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.